Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. All right, if you have your Bible, uh, open up the First Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have a, a live event on uh, the Bible app on your phone that you can go to. Uh, click um, events and you'll see our event. Uh, and if you prefer an analog Bible, uh, one with pages and stuff like that, uh, there are some on the back uh, by the sound booth. You can use those. It's crazy. Like, you don't have to swipe. You can just turn the pages, and it's, it's incredible. Uh, if you've never seen one before, this is what they look like. Uh, historical documents. Uh, while you're doing that, uh, so when I was uh, in college, I learned to play guitar, right? And uh, for any of you that have ever played an instrument, you know that basically you buy a guitar, or an instrument, and you pick it up, and immediately you're as good as Josh Bozeman. You don't have to do anything. Like, you just start, and magically it sounds really good, right? Like, that's how it works. No, only air guitar works like that, uh, which also I'm really good at, by the way. Um, no, so you get an instrument, mine was a guitar, and uh, there's a lot of things that you have to learn, right? You have to learn what all the different strings mean and how to press them down appropriately so you don't get like this rattling buzz sound. And then after about five minutes, your fingers start hurting because you don't have calluses on your fingers. And so you have to like, okay, well, I'll pick it back up tomorrow. And then you figure out how to play these different chords, um, which is difficult. And then you have to figure out how to use your other hand to strum, which seems really easy. Not easy at all, guys. Uh, so I, so I learned how to play guitar in my dorm room, um, and this was like before YouTube was a thing, right? So it was just like uh, trying to figure these things out, and I would just, I remember sitting at my desk, and just like, it was, I'm sure my roommates, I had the door closed, because this was embarrassing, right? Like it wasn't, did not sound good, and uh, I'm like trying to play Enrique Iglesias, I Can Be Your Hero Baby, because... <laughs> Why do you need to learn guitar except for to get the ladies, right? Like, that's what I thought. And then I started trying to sing, and I realized, nah, that's not going to happen. The ladies aren't going to come if I sing. So I just learned how to play guitar and how to shut my mouth, right? And so I would play by myself, um, and, and I got good enough that I felt comfortable opening the door so that other people could hear me, even though, in hindsight, like, they could definitely hear me on the other side of the door, but okay, whatever, I, so I started playing with like a friend of mine that was also learning to play guitar. And so we'd get together and we'd try to play songs together. And it was like starting all over again, right? Because I had to learn how to like strum with him and play the same notes as him and transition at the same time. And then we played together for a while. And we're like, okay, this is good. This is good. And then one day I played with the band. And it was a train wreck all over again. It was like I'd never played guitar before. I'm like, how am I this bad? Like, how is this working? Um, and then I was introduced to a metronome, right? Those of you that are in music or do anything with band, you know what a metronome is. It's the most annoying sound in the world, right? It's like this dink, dink, dink. But like, think about the most piercing tone on the spectrum that you can't get out of your head, right? And so you start playing with the metronome, and the metronome keeps the time, right? It keeps the tempo, and so whether you're practicing by yourself, 
you're staying on tempo and or with your friend you're staying on tempo or with the band you're staying on tempo there's this cadence there's this rhythm to it all that keeps everything together right and the metronome frees you up or frees freed me up to be able to now stop thinking about trying to keep uh who's who's going too fast or who's going too slow and it freed me up to actually just play my instrument the way i had practiced playing my instrument and it was it was really really fun to be able to now no longer have to think about the rhythm i could just think about playing music and uh, we're going to start this new series called rhythm um, and we're going to put a metronome in every single one of your houses and i'm joking um no we're going to start this series called rhythm and uh the tagline is life with god for the world because we're going to study spiritual practices or spiritual spiritual disciplines some people might call them uh spiritual habits but we're going to study these things and and what we want you to figure out through your experience with these is it's it's a metronome for us none of the things that we're going to talk about during the series will actually get you closer to god they will not restore your relationship with god at all all of these things will do is put you in a rhythm to be around God more often. And then when we're around God, God changes us. None of these things will change us. God is the only one that can change us. And that's why we implement these practices because God is the one that changes us. And so the closer we can be in step with what he's doing, the more likely we are to be transformed by him. And so spiritual practices are biblical or extra biblical activities that allow us to maintain and draw deeper uh draw deeper into a relationship with him and and so often people think I only need to practice if I'm going to perform. I only need to practice if I'm there's a game. Uh I only need to practice if there's some sort of battle. And my answer to you would be, well Absolutely, there's a battle. We're all fighting in a battle, a battle of spiritual warfare. And so you should always be ready to battle. But I would like to think about these spiritual practices on a different level. Not only to get ready for battle, but these spiritual practices, and that's why the tagline is Life with God for the World, is the closer we get um, in being in rhythm with who God is, the more likely we are to engage with what he's doing in the world, all right? And so the closer we're, we are with him, the more likely we are to be doing what he has for us to be doing um, as, as ambassadors for Christ. So that's what we're looking at today. So let's take a look. First Timothy chapter 4. We'll look at two verses, 7 and 8, um, and then kind of float around a couple different passages. It says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And one of the things about this passage that's really um, interesting is this idea or this word, train yourself for godliness, uh, this is where we get our word gymnastics from, and, and uh, it's this picture of um, working for, to, or like putting in work or putting in practice to develop into being this kind of person. It's this, it's this picture of 
like re- legitimate like Olympic training. And so uh, as we as we kind of begin to think through this, I want us to uh, to kind of put two opposing words together and look at maybe like sometimes when we try to do this, we fail, and when we do this, we will succeed. And it's training versus trying. Um, because he says here, Paul tells Timothy that we're supposed to train in godliness, right? Train yourself in godliness. Uh, but what does it look like to be successful and unsuccessful? Um, and I believe that is when we just try to be godly. Uh, when we just try to be godly, um, it's this uh, willpower or determination to no longer do these things, right? There, there may be um, sin in your life. There may be um, some sort of out of sync or out of rhythm. And so you're like, okay, I know what to do here. Uh, I read a book and it said for me to do these things. And you just kind of will yourself to no longer sin or will yourself to get back in rhythm uh, with what God's doing. And so this picture of tra- uh, tr- trying to be godly, it's this kind of frontal attack relying on willpower and determination. And Richard Foster, which uh, kind of has wrote the book that everyone quotes, which is really funny. All my studies, I have all of these books and they're all quoting this guy, Richard Foster. So let's read the book, right? Which I had already. And he says something that's really um, clever about this idea of trying to will sin away. He says this, as long as we think we can save ourselves by our own willpower, we will only make the sin in us stronger than ever. Um, I, I don't know about you, uh, but I think one of the biggest things the enemy can do to us is uh, it's kind of twofold. He can either, one, make us think that we are good where we are, that there's nothing else that we need to do to train ourselves in godliness. I've been walking with the Lord for X amount of years, and I think I got this under control. Like when we be, begin to believe that, he's got us exactly where he wants us. Or we begin to believe, hey, I can handle this sin, uh, this thing that I've been doing on my own. I don't really need help from anyone else let alone help from God. I can kind of take care of this on my own. And so we begin to try to will ourselves or to be determined to get rid of this sin out of our life. That's just trying. And what happens is we just give sin more power over us. And so instead, what Paul says is that we should train in godliness. Uh, and, and it's this picture of the gospel. Right? The gospel is something that we shared with the kids this week at, at VBS. It's a gospel that most people would say, like, hey, those people who don't know Jesus need to understand the gospel, which is absolutely true. Because the gospel says explicitly, you aren't as good as you think you are. That there is sin in your life that separates you from God. And that you choose to do what you want over what God wants. And because God is holy, There's a separation cause between you and him that is placed there by you, not by God. God doesn't push you away. You push yourself away from him, right? And so there's this separation between us and God, and there's nothing that we can do to bridge that gap. There's not an amount of VBSs a kid can go to to make themselves right with God. There's not an amount of Bible verses or Sunday school classes or whatever you want to use to justify uh, your good deeds to make you, yourself right back with God. It's only through what Jesus did for us 
on the cross and being a sacrifice on our behalf that we can be made right or restored into a relationship with God. And what we need to do is not to do anything to earn it. But Jesus did it. Jesus did everything that earned our salvation. All we have to do is to believe in him and to receive this gift that he's offering us, right? That's the gospel. That's what we taught at VBS. And many of us think, yes, that's really good. People that don't know Jesus need to understand the gospel. But what I would say to you, and what Paul is saying here, is people who are followers of Jesus need to understand the gospel as well. Because the same way we enter into the kingdom through the gospel is the same way we walk around in the kingdom. We have sin in our lives. That sin causes separation between us and God. How can we make that separation no longer there? It's not by our own works, our own deeds, our own efforts. It's by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so he is willing to offer forgiveness if we ask for that, if we receive that forgiveness from him, right? We do this in the beginning, but throughout the Christian life. And oftentimes we forget about this. And what we do in training ourselves in righteousness is is we think through... So one of my favorite passages in the Bible, because it's just raw and authentic, is Romans chapter 7. And those of you that might know um, Romans chapter 7, it's Paul's kind of inner battle of fighting the sin that dwells within him and a desire to follow God, right? And he says earlier, it's like, I am dead to sin, and I, and I live for God now. A couple verses earlier, and then he goes on, and he goes on this tirade about how the things that he wants to do, he can't do. But it's the things that he doesn't want to do that it, he ends up doing. It's that when he tries not to sin, you know what he ends up doing? Sinning. And he knows that he doesn't want to do this. He wants to follow after God, but he finds himself over and over turning away from God and turning towards his own desires and turning towards sin. And I love that because I'm like, yep, uh, did you watch me this week? Like, uh, yeah, that's where I am. Like, I want to, I want to serve God. And I want to, to live this perfect life and, and walk with the Lord in everything that I do. But there's so many times that Kyle gets in the way. And I start going over here and doing what I want to do, but turn back to God. And then Kyle, then turn back to God. And this is the beauty of Romans chapter 7. It's followed by Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all of those struggles, all that turning away, God doesn't look at you and say, oh, I'm tired of you, I'm done with you. No, the gospel is you are broken, you are broken, You are walking away from the Lord, and the Lord comes to you and rescues you. That's how we enter the kingdom, but that's how we walk around in the kingdom. And so when we, are in, when we do this rhythm of the disciplines or the spiritual practices, we are reminding ourselves it is God that did the saving. It is God that's doing the restoring and not me. And so I want to place myself before God. I want to place myself in the path of God. So that when I'm around him, he transforms me into the kind of person he wants me to be. And that gets us to the the second thing that I want us to think about is uh, this picture of being in the path of God. This concept, if you will, of being in the path of God. Um, And uh, at camp, uh, for our students this past year, our theme was rerouted, right? Where's Colton Cortez? Stand up right there. Show us your shirt. Rerouted. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Thanks for being an illustration, bro. 
Way to go. Uh, so the, the, it was uh, from Psalm 119. And it's this picture of uh, the psalmist crying out to God from a point of desperation because he is lost. And he's been trying to find his way out of this, his lostness by his own willpower. And he realizes in this moment, oh, God has been there all along. And if I allow him to reorient or reroute my mind, then I will be on the path of God. But when we try to do this ourselves, we find ourselves very much like all of the wives in here's husbands when they're on a trip and they get lost. Like, oh no, I know where I'm going. You're like, babe, we passed by that road three times already. No, no, that's a different road. Okay, you know, bless your heart, the little, th- right? And it's this pride that gets in, inside of us, and we're like, no, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do this, and we're lost. We're not asking for direction. But when we begin to train ourselves to be in the path of God, we look a lot different. And so um, if you have your Bibles or if you're in the app, go to Luke um, chapter 18. Luke uh, chapter 18 uh, he's telling these, these stories um, about Jesus interacting with different people. And there's these two stories, 18 and 19, have these two stories that are right after each other. Uh, the first story starts in 35, 1835, and it's Jesus interacting with this blind beggar. Uh, he interacts with this blind beggar. So Jesus is coming through town, and this blind beggar is kind of posted up in his spot doing what blind beggars do, begging, Right? Uh, and he hears about Jesus, and he hears that Jesus is coming by. And so you know what he does, is he moves himself to be in Jesus' path coming through town. And then, when he places himself in the path of God, and he hears Jesus coming by, he says this, verse 37, Jesus Son, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he says, what do you want from me? And this man is face to face with Jesus. He placed himself in the path of Jesus, and now has come face to face with Jesus. And you know what happens when people come face to face with Jesus? They're transformed. And so he says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And he recovers his sight. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. He placed himself in the path of Jesus. He comes face to face with Jesus. And it wasn't him placing himself in the path that restored his sight, was it? It was Jesus transforming him. And then the next story is a story most of you guys know. Most short people definitely know the story. It's the story of Zacchaeus, right? And calling him a wee little man is not very nice. People, stop bullying Zacchaeus. Just call him short, all right? Um, but what, is, what do we know about the story, right? Uh, he climbs up into a sycamore tree, right? Um, and he places himself in the path of Jesus, and, be, and while he's in the path of Jesus, there's a lot of other people in the path of Jesus, but because he placed himself in the path of Jesus, he had a higher likelihood to come face to face with Jesus, right? Zacchaeus 
comes face to face with Jesus. And what do we know about what happens to the life of Zacchaeus? It's transformed. His whole household is transformed because he placed himself in the path of Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't do anything to transform his life. But he allowed himself to be in the path of Jesus. He comes face to face with Jesus. He's transformed by Jesus. That's why we do the spiritual practices. That's why we have this rhythm. is so we can place ourselves in the path of God so that we might be transformed by God. The transformation. There's this uh, great picture of transformation that the Baptist church has done. Um, and it's what I would call creating new laws. It's this trying to be transformed, because we want to be transformed. And we know that these spiritual practices can help us be transformed by God. And so what, what we have done um, kind of traditionally in the past, not what we do here, but what we have done traditionally in the past, the church, has said, okay, well, you need to pray or read the Bible, you need to come to church every Sunday, and if you do those things, you will be a good Christian boy or girl. Okay. Those aren't bad things, and those are absolutely things that we should be doing as followers of Jesus. But Jesus, well, actually, let's think about the passage that we're looking at in 1 Timothy. It starts off with saying, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths, or uh, the translation is wives' tales. Um, is this not a myth? Hey, if you read your Bible and you pray and you go to church a whole bunch, then you will become a Christian. Myths are rooted in some truth, but not the full truth. The only way that one is transformed by God is by submitting their lives to Jesus, not showing up a bunch of times. Uh, someone growing up used to say, Hey, um, if I go to McDonald's, does that make me a Big Mac? Well, no. It's like, well, why would you showing up to church make you a Christian? I'm like, I don't know. That's what it says to do, right? He's like, no. Only Jesus transforming your life can make you a Christian. And so what we have done is we've created these new laws out of these practices. Jesus didn't come and sacrifice his life and become this perfect sacrifice on the cross so that you can be a really good, obedient child. That's not what he came here for. He came to transform your life so that your natural response is obedience. He didn't come to give us new laws. He said he actually came to, uh, to fulfill all of the laws. He came and training looks like new life. It looks like new life. It looks like us pursuing Jesus and then allowing him to change us into the kind of people that we want to be. Not the kind of people we think he wants us to be, but the kind of people he wants us to be. The kind of man that he wants me to be. And so me training myself to be in his presence regularly so that I might come face to face with Jesus and uh, then be transformed by Jesus is important to being in, engaging this new life. Dallas Willard when he was writing about the, these spiritual practices, he says this, and it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful picture. He says, um, Jesus never expected us to simply turn the other cheek. 
or to go the second mile, or to bless those who persecute us, or to give uh, to those who ask, and so forth. Never expects us uh, to simply do that. He expects us to be transformed into Christ-likeness. And for a person living that kind of life, a Christ-like life, the hardest thing for them to do would be to hate their enemy, or to turn away the supplicant, or to curse the cursor, just as it was for Christ. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes at the point where it is hard for us not to respond as Jesus would respond. The goal of spiritual practices is to train ourselves to be in the path of God so that we may be transformed into Christ-likeness. That is the goal of the disciplines. That is the metronome that is these practices that we're talking about here. That is why it's a rhythm. It keeps us on the path of God so that we might be transformed into Christ-likeness. And here's the beauty And this is why this is our tagline, is when we become more like Christ, we begin to look at the world like Christ looked at the world. And so that's why we're calling it life with God for the world. So life with God is this divine life. Life with God is this this picture that He has given us uh, that He talks about in 1 Timothy 4. He says, while bodily training is of some value, which means we should train, right? Um, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So this life with God, this divine life, has present value, right? Um, the, the present value is, for, um, as he puts it in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the, the present value is us being able to experience the kingdom of God while we are here on earth. Right? That is the present value of training in righteousness. The future value is, it's this picture, I, I, I laugh because I think it's funny. It's this picture of um, those of us who are followers of Jesus walking into heaven and if we've, if we've not been walking with the Lord, training, getting to know Jesus, becoming more, and li- more like Jesus, I have this picture. I don't know that it's accurate. I think it's probably a caricature. But it's Jesus coming up to us and being like, Hey, Kyle, by the way, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm like, oh, you're Jesus. I thought that guy with the beard over there was Jesus. You're Jesus. Oh, cool. Nice to meet you, Jesus. You would never have to introduce yourself to someone who you're close with, would you? I don't go up to my wife and say, Hey, uh, wife, I'm Kyle. She knows who I am because she spends time with me regularly. So the future value of this life with God is that we intimately know Him whom we will worship for all eternity. and We will know Him more and more and more. Life with God is the spiritual practices that allow us to stay in rhythm with where God is going. That's the picture of the divine life. This life with God is being able to stay in rhythm with where God is going. Stay on the path 
that we might be transformed into Christ-likeness. But that's not the only purpose. That's not the only outcome. There's this, kind, this picture of the divine mission or life for the world. And the more we begin to see the world as Christ sees the world, we begin to interact with the world as Christ interacted with the world. And, and um, Genesis chapter 1. Creation. What do we see happen? There's chaos, and God brings order to chaos. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Chaos, and God brings order to chaos. And then we begin to walk through the Old Testament, and we see story after story of chaos, and then God bringing order to that chaos. And then we see the New Testament, the Gospels, and we see Jesus showing up to a chaotic world, and through His sacrifice on the cross, He brings order to chaos. And then we see the early church begin to be planted, and we see chaos, and then you see God bringing order to chaos. And then you look at our lives today, and it would be described as chaotic. The world that we live in today would be described as chaotic. And what's the only way that we can bring order to a chaotic world? world, God. So the divine mission or this life for the world is joining with God in bringing order to a chaotic world that we live in. Because when God shows up, when God is in this place in our lives and we've seen it in this church, in our communities, when He is made known He brings order to chaos. What we're doing in the divine life is joining up, staying in rhythm with where God is going. But with the divine mission, this life for the world, they allow us, these spiritual practices allow us to stay in rhythm with what God is doing. And, and, And this is the picture that we want to see in this idea of spiritual practices, this rhythm of pursuing Jesus and allowing Him to transform our lives so that we can stay in rhythm with where He's going and continue to be transformed in this process. But as we're being transformed, we're beginning to see the world as He sees it, and we join in with what He's doing. We begin to bring order to chaos because God is coming and and living through us and being manifest in relationships that we have. And we see broken homes restored. And we see lives full of sin uh, and and bondage and these chains of slavery broken, not because of our great wisdom and insight, but because God brings order to chaos. And so this is why we're doing this series. It's so that we can be a part of staying, learning how to be in rhythm with God and bringing order to chaos. And so here's my question for you as we kind of wrap up. This is not going to be an easy task. And just like I had to learn to play guitar, it took lots of time and effort and practice and help. 
And I had to identify the areas that I needed to work on. Areas that I needed more practice in. More training in. Without a doubt, every single one of us in this room have sin that is in our lives that needs to be taken out of us. Right? There are sins that we choose. They're our favorite ones. Right? Or we have rhythms in our life that are out of sync with what God has for us. So we're going to start this series. Next three weeks, we're going to talk about... um, We're going to talk about inward disciplines, we're going to talk about outward disciplines, and we're going to talk about corporate disciplines. And within each one of those elements, we're going to show, we're going to look at how we can apply that to our lives individually, your life as a family unit, and then our life as a church. So, in order for those things to be successful, to place us in rhythm with God. We need to identify what's keeping us out of rhythm. What are the sins that you're holding on to so tightly that you're unwilling to let go of? And what I would tell you is this. The Gospel acknowledges that you have sin. Jesus on the cross, when He was dying for you, He understood that sin. He said, I'm willing to lay down my life so that you can have freedom from that sin. The gospel impacts us as we enter into the kingdom of God. But we walk around in the kingdom of God remembering the freedom that comes. The gospel. So what is causing you to be out of rhythm with the Lord? Let me pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for uh, what you do. That it's not our efforts, it's not our own doings. It's uh, you and you alone that changes us. And we have sin in our lives uh, that uh, is keeping us from being in rhythm with you. Lord, my prayer right now for each and every one of the men and women that sit in this room is that uh, the tight fist that they have around this sin, that you will loosen their grip, and that they will uh, open their hands and give that to you and experience the freedom and forgiveness that happens through the gospel. You're a loving God. You lovingly gave up your life so that we might have life. So let us let go of these things that we are trying to hold on to that are keeping us from being in in your presence, in your path, face to face with you. Let's open up our hands and be forgiven of those things and experience life with God for the world. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.